Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. This week, our guest is Dr. Wes Griffin of the International Leadership Institute. ILI is a Christian organization focused on training and mobilizing leaders. I think you're going to be really impressed by the impact that ILI has had and the methods they've used to train over a quarter million leaders in the last 20 years. Joining me in the studio this week to listen to and discuss this interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Anna Maria Dempsey, Michelle Mahalko, and Austin Broom. Thanks for being here today, y'all. Thanks, Josh. Hey, glad to be here. So to start off the show today, I wanted to bring a question to y'all. Have you ever come across someone or something that wasn't getting a whole lot of attention, but was actually a big deal? Anna Maria? Yeah. So the first thing I thought of is something that's pretty special to me, which is the Epilepsy Foundation. It's pretty important because it obviously affects millions of people and it's its goal is to raise money for research. And I think sometimes people with other chronic illness would probably feel the same that sometimes it feels like other diseases like breast cancer has, you know, tons of endorsements from the NFL and things like that. And so it's really important to me to have awareness for the Epilepsy Foundation, um, but also, you know, other chronic diseases as well. Michelle, how about you? So I took a personal example of something that drastically changed my life. When I was in college, I became a resident assistant and just learning that whole world of residence life and students being developed as leaders actually changed my life to the point that I wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, these are in schools all across the country. So I just think that is a huge deal. How about you, Austin? Well, when you asked that question, my first thought was myself, just uh, not noticed, big deal, but not, <laughs> not, that's not actually uh, what I would really think. Uh, so for me, the, the second thought that I had then was actually Grand Gulf Nuclear Station, where I, where I actually now am okay. employed. Um, I didn't realize that Mississippi had a nuclear station prior to getting the job there. I can say that now that I have the job. That wouldn't have gone so well in the interview. But Grand Gulf Nuclear State is huge. I No idea it existed prior to six months ago. And it produces like the equivalent of a fifth of the electrical power needs of the state of Mississippi. That's awesome. The reason I bring this up is because the International Leadership Institute is an organization that's doing some amazing things, but not a whole lot of people know about them. And I'm excited to have Dr. Wes Griffin on here to tell you a little bit about the organization today. Dr. Wes Griffin serves as the president and CEO at the International Leadership Institute, which is a global organization dedicated to equipping leaders to accelerate the spread of the gospel. They're a great example of how to effectively produce leaders that produce leaders. Their training is centered around eight key principles, intimacy, passion, leadership, evangelism, multiplication, family, stewardship, and integrity. 
From its beginning in 1998 till today, ILI has more than a quarter million alumni and are working to have alumni in 100 nations by the year 2020. Wes has some great insight to share with us today, so let's get started with the interview. Wes, welcome to the podcast. Josh, it's great to join you. Well, I love ILI, and I'm really excited to share with our listeners a little bit more about this organization. Could you start off by giving us an overview of what the International Leadership Institute is all about? ILI has a vision to change history by accelerating the spread of the gospel around the world through leaders of leaders. And how we do that is by both training and multiplying men and women to help develop their uh, leadership capacity, help them to live out by eight core values, and help them to be among the most faithful, effective Christians on planet Earth. So you've been the leader of the International Leadership Institute for over 20 years now. You started with this desire to train Christian leaders across the world. Uh, When did you begin seeing this as a pressing need? I I would practically go back to early when I was involved in full-time ministry. I began to be really aware of the needs in my own life, the, the lack of understanding about leadership, the challenges that I was personally facing. Uh, and then in 1993, I had a chance to be a part of the, the Beeson Doctoral Program in Asbury Seminary, which was a focus on leadership and biblical preaching. And that really opened to my eyes uh, about the difference between leadership and other things, just overall management, even pastoral ministry, the, the difference that leadership is and what leaders have to be and what they have to do. And so that's where it began in myself and with that program. And then I had a chance to be on the front lines of establishing uh, a new university in one of the former Soviet republics where we were working with men and women who were just saying, equip me. I want to be the best Christian leader I can be. And that was really the soil where I really experienced people just hungry and desiring to grow themselves. And how did you go from helping to start that university to transitioning toward uh, this organization, ILI? So in in the mid-90s, I was living in Estonia, and that's where I had the privilege to help be part of a startup and eventually lead a school to European accreditation on a university level. A very exciting time. It was a formalized program, degree earning. And out of that, I began to really distill down this sense of what were the essence of the, or these basic values of what uh, leaders do that's different than everybody else. So in 1997, a group of us that were really at that time not trying to create an organization but solve a problem, that is help to spread the gospel faster around the world because two-thirds of the world still didn't know Christ. Uh, we were meeting and discussing it, and somebody said, look, what could we do together? And we brainstormed and wrote words on a wall like evangelism, discipleship, church planting, leadership development, compassion. And somebody said, circle leadership. That word affects everything else on the wall. And, and so then somebody asked a second question. They said, well, what makes the best leaders different than everybody else? And that actually is what created the International Leadership Institute. We went on a search to answer that basic question and once we got the answer, then we gathered some people together and invested in their lives. And that was the beginning. All right. So what did you find in your search to figure out what a leader needs to be? So go back to that original meeting. We had this group of leaders. They were from around the world, and, and they were top leaders uh, themselves. And so we said, okay, what makes the best leader different than everybody else? Let's work on it. 
And over the next two hours, we wrote 50, five zero things on the wall. And the more we wrote to describe the, the values, the skills, the thinking, the faith of the best leaders, the more sobering it became and really the more quiet we, we uh, began to be. Because we looked at the wall and we were overwhelmed. I mean, how do you take 50 things and begin to invest that into a person? Sort of the idea of when Paul said to Timothy, what you've seen and heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this invest, you know, or teach others, who, faithful men and women who will teach others also. So we, we looked at that wall and we then left that meeting to search out and really distill all we had seen there down into something that we could in a, a, invest in another person in a very intentional way. And it took Two years. This is what many people don't realize. Two years of global research, and then it boiled down into these eight values. So you have these eight values today. How is it that you instill these into people and prepare them to be better Christian leaders? So after the two years of research, this is what emerged, that the best Christian leaders lived by, first, intimacy with God, second, passion for the harvest, Third, visionary leadership. Fourth, culturally relevant evangelism. Fifth, multiplication of leaders. Most leaders don't raise up leaders. Sixth, family priority. Seventh, faithful stewardship. And eighth, integrity. So it was intimacy, passion, vision, evangelism, multiplication, family, stewardship, and integrity. And what we did is we just started off by saying, you know, what if we could bring together a group of people and for, and we said, let's do it small, 30 at a time, uh, and just invest these eight values in their lives. But not just invest it for their sake, but if we were to equip them, we should tell them up front, uh, when you finish, we want to ask you to invest these values in other people's lives. So that was how we just we started off with that basic idea, invest in 30 people, ask them to multiply their training. So we preferred to see... 30 people in a room that, rather than 100 people in a conference hall. The 30 people allowed a group of four to six faculty to really invest deeply and relationally in each person. So the very first time we did that was November of uh, 2001. And there were uh, 21 people from 17 different countries. And as that week progressed, we saw not only knowledge imparted, but we saw faith imparted. We saw People uh, begin to grapple with kind of what needed to change in their personal life, but also in their skill sets in order to be the kind of leader that would be on the front lines of seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. And when it was over, as we got to the end, we, we asked them, what were you going to do with this training and how could you multiply it to others? So you go from there to today over um, the course of about 20 years, you've reached over uh, 250,000 people and trained them to be leaders. How have you been able to have this level of outreach? Uh, first of all, Josh, even when you say that to me, and I've been a part of it, that's a crazy number to think that uh, – one training event in 2001 could somehow turn into 250,000 alumni in more than 100 countries. Uh, but, but the first answer would be it could have only been done by the power of God. When we started in the beginning, we said, Lord, we all want to be part of something that is cannot be explained by human effort. It can only be explained by the power and presence of God at work. So the, the first answer is this is something was a vision from God given to a group of people from different parts of the world, and 
it was an application of value of you know biblical, relevant, you know transformational values. Uh, that first group, we said to them, go and multiply your training. We given them a week of training. We gave them a model for for three days, uh, how they could multiply. The, that original we the original founders. We went and did a couple of other training events that next year. But the alumni went out and they multiplied. In the second year, there was 18 training events. And we just kept that rhythm. Everyone who was trained, we just challenged them. Live the values, equip others. And when the Holy Spirit moves in their lives as they live these values out, all we can say is just something happens. And in the transfer, when one group leader equips another leader, not just knowledge, but anointing actually transfers. It's just something of God. And just... Being faithful to that for the last 18 years is how 250,000 people were equipped. So I think about 250,000 people, like you said, that's a massive amount of people. How can you be sure that each leader who's being trained continues on and is effectively trained? How do you, how do you gauge that, uh, the larger and larger you get, and the larger and larger your outreach becomes? Well, it's, it's interesting. Today, we actually uh, were getting getting close to finalizing our statistics from last year. Just uh, We just closed you know, two weeks ago. And the amazing thing is, there's actually now, as of today, we could count 901 training events last year for right at 37,000 people, which is a total, which is a new record, 10% growth, which is a metric that we just, we, we have established to seek to grow 10% a year. What I would say is about the, what we've kind of seen as far as the depth, how does it, does the, does the depth of it multiply? I was in Kenya and a guy came up on the sidewalk and he said, Dr. West, I want you to know that I'm fourth generation ILI trained. Nobody ever said that to me. I said, can you name the core values right here on the sidewalk? And he named every value just immediately, exactly as they were, uh, were presented in order. I said, how are you living out these values? He started giving me the illustrations from that. I said, explain to me fourth generation train. He said, you trained David. David trained Simon. Simon trained my pastor and my pastor trained me. Wow. And, and that was really an insight to me, and we began to simply uh, research that, just, just alumni, just beginning to, we've always done different research projects to understand what's really happening. And, and I was really humbled that day to realize that, again, this is something God created. God led the process of identifying these eight values, um, and it's a common thing for us to now to, to meet people who had that same testimony and story. So tell me a little bit about your research processes. Uh, how can you ensure that you're getting accurate measures to really see how effective your outreach is? So leaders need to care about results, and they need to care about true impact. We've written two books of stories, and I love stories. I'm an oral communicator. I love to, to open a message with a story. I love to close it with a story. Uh, stories speak to both the head and to the heart. But but there's lots of good stories. How can you measure underneath that? Like if I say there's 250,000 alumni, and what is the impact in their lives? We have always done internal research projects where we would uh, take someone and or a group of people, we'd kind of pre- and post-test them, and we'd ask questions about the kind of transformations that were going on in their own lives. This past year, we actually hired an independent company, Clarity Research, and Scott Friedrich to do it as an independent uh, project that we hired them and paid for. We work with them to measure 
transformation in each of those eight values that I've described to you, but also into seven outcomes. And the outcomes are related to areas of evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, compassion, and church planting. Um, and it was fascinating to see that study develop. It took months to kind of uh, to shape it. And then the results were also fascinating. I've got to think that it's it's a little nerve-wracking to to be researched by someone outside of your organization. It's one thing to kind of uh, develop metrics inside your organization, but what did you expect to happen whenever you ask someone outside of your organization to judge and to research how effective your leadership training processes were? I have to be honest that there was a there was some nervousness involved, and there was some. You just we had to you have to throw yourself open to being utterly transparent, which is what leaders should always do. You ask the right questions. Uh, you want to know the results. One of my axioms I always say uh, is facts are your friend. Facts may not be pleasant, but they're always your friend because you can learn and grow from them. Uh, but there was a point at which somebody said to me, Wes, what are you going to do if the results are different from what you think? And I said, well, if they're different, the first thing I'm probably going to do is go home and get in a fetal position and stay there for about a week because I've, I've wasted 20 years of my life. When the research came back, we actually were stunned by it. Um, and it, it again, it made us a very sober because the results came back and said significant transformation was happening in people's lives. You started ILI and you've continued to lead it. Often the right leader for a startup is not necessarily the right leader to bring an organization to maturity unless the leader grows with that organization. So how have you done that? What what are some key points maybe in ILI's history where you've had to grow as a leader for the organization to continue to grow as well? So one of the desires in my own heart was to be uh, to do something for a long time something that could have a, a significant impact. And you can't just be changing directions every few years if you're doing that. And that also meant that I had to, in advance of starting this journey, be aware that I was going to have to grow at each new phase. It was very well that, you know, it's one thing to be an entrepreneurial leader, another to help just continue to grow something consistently. So one of the things I say to myself every year is, is that the West Griffin this year if he doesn't grow, is not going to be adequate to continue to lead this organization. So one of my personal priorities has just been to grow personally, ask lots of questions, to realize that I've got to be growing in my own skill sets, my own leadership style, my own capacity, uh, character, and, and it's just got to constantly be, I've got to constantly reshape, redeveloping my own life in order to lead for what the organization needed. Is that is that something that just happens gradually over time? Uh, you change as a leader slowly but surely? Or have you found that there are certain uh, catalysts that cause you to have to grow to a new point? When we started, we were truly like a startup. I mean, it was my wife and I and one assistant. And uh, today, it's a a staff, a significant staff and a leadership team beyond that and leaders beyond that in 100 countries. So uh, what we just realized is uh, I constantly taking inventory, but every year I take a very intentional process of just asking myself and others on our board and others around me, what's going to need to be different this year? Uh, with our board of directors, for example, about five or six years ago, I actually went to them and I said, I'd like for you guys to assign me a coach every year someone that would take an intentional uh, responsibility to help 
me become the leader that I need to be, somebody wiser, more experienced that can help to say, these are the where the organization is going to need to grow. We're, we're vision-driven. We're always asking, what does the future need to look like? And then I ask myself, what changes am I going to need to go through so the organization can keep growing? And what will others have to grow through? So we're trying to build this leadership culture, not just what we teach, but in our own lives and staff team so that we're actually living out these eight values, not just personally, but on a leadership level in the organization. So I'm guessing that listeners could probably infer some principles from your answer, but what would you recommend to leaders who want to make sure that they're always postured for growth uh, based on your own experiences? What are some ways that we can really set ourselves up to be open to whatever ways we need to grow? So always keep asking why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Uh, uh, why is is the most important, more important than how? So ask the why question. For us at ILI, we were created because the lost need to be found. And, and why we exist is to help spread the gospel so the lost can be reached. And until two-thirds of the world are reached, we need to exist. That's, that's, so why is our, where we find passion. The second is how. That is, how do we need to be going about fulfilling the mission of the organization? Uh, what will have to change? What we have to do different? And, and that just needs to be, that's a question we ask annually. It's a question we ask intentionally quarterly. And it's even a question that we monitor uh, weekly as we work toward achieving the goals. So you talked about this briefly a second ago, but I want to go back to it because I think it's such an important part of the global aspect of ILI. What does your global leadership network look like? Because with an outreach as large as ILI's, I know that no single person or even no single team in one location can do this alone. So one of the, one of the things that I learned is a lot of times people have to look backwards to understand you know, how their organization grew, uh, learn the lessons kind of after you do it. Uh, I read this about other leaders and I discovered that was the same thing that was true for us. There were times we did things out of necessity. For example, early on, our whole philosophy of multiplication was predicated that we didn't have much funding. And so if we were going to, to help meet a need rather than funding and asking, paying people to do things, we simply equipped them and said, we're going to give you this tool. We're going to give it to you free. All we ask you to do is take and multiply to others. And, and the response from people was, I'll do that. And so we, over the years, became an alumni-driven organization. I didn't know how to say those words or define that until about seven or eight years ago. And um, I read a book called The Starfish and the Spider, and it was uh, talking about the difference between centralized and decentralized organizations. And a, a very heavily centralized organization is a spider organization, and the spider builds the web, controls the web, everything happens in the web. A starfish organization uh, was, is very different, very decentralized. You cut a starfish in two, you get part of the middle part, you throw it back in the ocean, it reproduces, you get two starfish. And, and we began to realize that we were an organization joined by a common DNA that we had just released people to multiply. And they took that responsibility and they did it. We always said that there were two things we wanted to do in our mission statement, to train and to mobilize. Many organizations train leaders. Uh, very few mobilized leaders. And the reason there's 250,000 alumni is we focus heavily on mobilization. That comes from some lessons like Dr. Rod Frost in London, England, who discovered that people that grew the most in the ministry he had were 
were not the end consumer as much as the leadership uh, involved, those who were involved in leading and equipping and doing the things. That's who grew the most. So we've always said, okay, mobilizing is really essential. And it's actually the hardest part of the job that we do today. I'm wondering if you could share a few success stories from your leadership uh, training programs. What, who, are, who are some some people who have stood out over the years as you've seen um, hundreds and thousands of people in person and heard of uh, thousands of other stories? Who are some people that really stand out that you can say, this person really took what we teach and ran with it and has done some great things? So many people just immediately – come into my mind, but I'll give you David Thigana, because David was in the very first group that we trained. David was nominated by some people that knew him as a uh, young man of great promise and potential and intellect and passion and faith. At the time, he was a school teacher. He'd become a pastor. He had four churches. He and his wife had seen the needs of compassion in his country of Kenya. There were 20 orphans that they were helping to minister to. Uh, they'd been involved in a little bit in peace and conflict resolution, and he'd never trained a leader. He came to our first training event, and when, as we got to the conclusion, he said, when is this ministry going to come to my country? And we had no track record, but we just said to him, David, it, it goes to your country when you get off the airplane, and it's up to you to go spread it. Uh, but he just said, when, if I go back and do three training events, would you come and help me? After that, we said yes. And so he literally just went back. The first time he taught every session himself. The second time he asked the three people to help. And in the third time, he had a team in place. And today, there are 40,000 people in East Africa that can trace their ILI training to that one person. Wow. Uh, which is it's just remarkable. And it's just not like I could give you one story like that. I, I can give you just hundreds that's amazing. So what is next for ILI? You've, you've come so far over the last 20 years or so. What does is, what is the next five years look like? What does the next 20 years look like for the leadership training and other programs that you have? That's a great question, and uh, you're catching us at a good time. We had spent a year in deep reflection uh, about this and launched uh, at the first of the year a five-year campaign. We've never had a five-year campaign. I think that as a sign of partly of just a maturing organization that we could uh, be able to to look into the future and, and ask some big questions about what we need to do and to be. And so in this campaign, we set four goals. The first one is something we've already been working on. And that was to see ILI teams in 100 nations by the year 2020. And we'd started that in in uh, 2015, there were alumni in more than 100 countries. We analyzed it and said, you know, in 41 countries, there are really good teams in place that are multiplying. What would it look like to see teams in 100 countries? And, uh, and, and, and then that'd be half the nations of the world. They will go from there. And by God's grace, over the last three, four years, we now have teams in about 70 countries. But we begin to realize that last 30 is going to be really tough. Some of them are highly persecuted countries. Some of them really struggle with nominalism. So we've put a plan in place to see that achieved, and it's actually predicated on a much more intentional coaching and mentoring process for some of our top leaders in these 30 additional nations. A second thing is it took us 17 years to train 250,000 people, but I mentioned earlier that last year there were 900 training events for 37,000 people, and we just kind of looked at the numbers and thought, you know, if we would just stay faithful, just stay steady, just continue to work hard, to sacrifice, to do what's necessary, and that number was to grow, then actually in five years, 
we could see another 250,000 leaders equipped. And uh, we didn't want to just set that goal without fasting and praying, but we fasted and prayed and felt the Lord confirm it among our whole team. Yes, that's the goal. And it takes our breath away to think that in five years we'll do what took the first 17 years to do. Uh, so that's the second one. And the third, the third goal is one around digital strategy. We have a variety of digital assets. Uh, I serve on the board of Jesus.net. We've been part of helping to develop an online learning platform. Uh, but we also realize it's now time for us to develop a full, robust, global digital strategy that would really take advantage and leverage technology that uh, only continues to grow. Our, our world is very different. The generation that started ILI, we visit the internet. There's another vid, uh, generation that lives on the internet. We already work in nine of the top 10 internet languages. Uh, please just to kind of announce that we hired our first director of, of global digital strategy. And uh, one of the new things that we are in the process of launching right now is a full on uh, digital strategy that will involve not just web presence, but social media and online courses. And we're hoping to see replicated online the same kind of effectiveness we've seen face-to-face. That's awesome. So going back real quick to essentially doubling your outreach in a really a fraction of the time that it took you to get to the first quarter million, do you have any estimates as to how far along you are to getting to a total of half a million uh, leaders trained? Well, we we are somewhere around 270,000 total since inception. Right now, I would just say we're on pace. If there are 37,000 people were trained in 2018 and we'll grow at 10% a year, then by 2023, there'll be 50,000 plus being equipped every single year in more than 100 countries with a strategy that is uh, sustainable and reproducible. So I I can't help but ask, is there any way that people can get their hands on this training material if they want to see it, learn more about it, or maybe even use it where they are? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You go to our website, ilitim.org. We chose the word team to be a part of our URL in the very beginning, ilitim.org. And the first thing I'd say is is just go there and you can learn. You can learn about what we do, learn about the core values. Uh, There's some samples of, of materials that you can download. Uh, Keep checking back with our website because you will see later on this year, sometime in the summer, a beginning opportunity just to sign up and do course, take courses online. Um, And that would be an option. You could also just write to us, ilitim at ilitim.org and say, look, I want this training. Let us know what country you're from. We'll help connect you with one of our team leaders. And regularly we have people that just, that's how they they find us uh, off the internet. We connect them into face-to-face training. Uh, another thing I'd say is if you go to our website, uh, sign up to receive Dare to Ask God. That's a weekly devotional that we send out, and that's kind of our main way of just communicating. Every week we're writing on different core values and helping people to grow in those values and to experience God on a more personal and intimate level. Wes, before you go, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire all of us toward better leadership. Are you ready? Bring them. All right. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. But it were people of faith, and sometimes we confuse uh, faith and hope. Uh, We need to be people of faith, but we need to take our faith, and we need to develop uh, strategic plans, smart goals, uh, timelines, schedules, budgets, 
We need to do whatever's necessary so that true strategy can accomplish the goals that God gives to every leader and to every organization. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is visionary, resilient, and relentless. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? They need to be asking themselves, what did I learn today? What did I learn today? And what book would you recommend to leaders? I would recommend that you read every day the devotion of the day from my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. This allows you to be the best leader that you can be. If you could get every single listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would it be? I would solve one key issue that is holding your organization back. And finally, an arbitrary but insightful question. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Why? One of my just leadership principles is that always know why you are doing something. If you know the why, then you know what your motivation is. You know what the need is that you're trying to to see achieved. And you know why you're asking people to get involved and why you're asking them to even sacrifice and be committed so that the world can be different. Wes, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Before we finish, where can people go to find out more about your work uh, in the International Leadership Institute and your programs and all that you do? You can go to our website, illiteam.org. Uh, find out information there. Also, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just go and search for ILI Team. Through all of these different mediums, you have a chance to, to uh, get to know us, but also to sign up and begin to uh, let us just invest in your life and in your leadership in these eight core values. I believe you'll find they'll be transformational, and they'll help equip you both for right now, but also the future that God has for you. Wes, thank you so much for joining us today. Josh, it's been a, a real privilege and uh, just grateful for a chance to talk with you and to share these insights. I pray God's blessing upon you and upon this podcast. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share your own thoughts on what you heard today or leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's show could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. 
But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.